Hello, everybody. We are Matt and Kevin, and welcome to Season 3 of the Believe Overwatch League podcast from the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL and at Believe.com. This week, we look at the SF Shock's newest sponsorship and break down the latest June Joust matches. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the gameplay episode for this week of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast. This is week seven of the league. And yeah, this was, this was week seven of the league. This was week two of the June Joust, I believe, if I'm correct. Right? Was I, am I right, Kevin? Yes. Okay, so yeah, week two. Um, yeah. Hello to everybody tuning in. Happy Pride to all y'all. Um, yeah, uh, also just reminder, next week, hopefully next week, we are going to be trying to interview the founders of Watchpoint Pride, the LGBTQ plus um, community for Overwatch. So if you have anything you'd like us to ask them, please let us know and we will do our best to include your questions when we, we talk to them. Um Kevin, what, what, what's up with you? How have you been in, in the playing of the video games and, and such and, and living and, and life? <laughs> uh, it, it's been good. Um, yeah, we went to I went to an arcade this weekend. That was something that definitely was was different. There's a lot of people out there and I'm not 100 percent comfortable with it yet. So, um, yeah, it's going to take me a bit of getting used to people and human interaction again. Um, I know, <laughs> like being inside all day and then realizing, wow, the games outside are not as fun without friends. And then you just stay inside and you're like, wow, VR is amazing. Uh, that is that is the essential uh, gist of what has been going on. Um, I've been playing a lot of Beat Saber to try to get back into shape. I've been doing uh, there's a new Star Wars game or like an old Star Wars game that I never got around to. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that in VR as well. No, it's the, um, there's one called, uh, Tales from Galaxy's Edge, which is supposed Ah. to be kind of modeled off of the area in Disneyland. Okay. So they, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll play this game. And I got shot in the face like way too many times. (laughs) So that game is hard. I didn't expect it to be that hard for a VR game, but, um, yeah, I'm out here trying not to get immediately destroyed but um it was it was definitely an interesting uh experience right what are arcade games like these days i haven't haven't been to an arcade the last arcade i went to was in 2018 i went on i went on a date to the arcade in the santa monica pier and we played uh air hockey the entire time so not even mm-hmm. like the our actual arcade games like, like arcade what, arcade games yeah what are arcade games like nowadays kevin I, I am so behind on what arcade games look like like i walked by the arcade in our mall a couple days ago and i saw that they had like a flappy bird game if y'all yeah. remember flappy bird yeah the the, the meta for some of these cat like these arcades are kind of weird not gonna lie so um i prefer round ones over uh, Dave and Buster's. I'm willing to. I'm willing to say that, uh, just because I'm a bigger fan of rhythm games, and 
round one originally comes from Japan, so they import a lot of their machines from Japan. Um, and we get to play them, which is a lot of fun. Um, I am a big sucker for those uh, mini basketball hoop games, so I like camp that. If if I have credits and you don't know where I'm at, go find the basketball hoops. Uh, that's where I'll be. Um, so yeah, there was that. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of the new meta, I guess the new meta, is to take a mobile game, right? That's really popular, and then turn it into a ticket game of sorts. So that way you get the kids who are like, oh, yeah, I liked playing Flappy Bird. Uh, and then they, they get it and then they win like a small amount of tickets or something like that. Um, the ones that I saw, I saw Doodle Jump. Uh, really? Yeah, I saw Doodle Jump. I saw Angry Birds. I saw those games Fruit you Ninja. can play for free. Yeah, those games that you can play for free. You can play at an arcade for a dollar and get tickets so you can buy a piece of candy. Uh, that, that is it. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I I hang out at the at the mini hoops. When I do get tickets, it's just for playing mini hoops. I find the tickets as a secondary goal. Um, I did, though, however, um, I checked the balance of my tickets. Um, after going to the round one and I had like 9,000 tickets because that was like pre-pandemic and whatever I played today. Not over um, 9,000? It it was slightly over 9,000. Ah. And I decided to... I, I went to, you know, the display cases where there's usually like bigger prizes. Um, I saw an Android that I was eyeing online for a while and I was like, yeah, I should probably get that. So <laughs> I asked the... I asked the uh, the the person the the worker there and and I ended up getting it so I got an Enderoid at my house. Wait, what is that? What is that? Uh, it's like a mini. Uh, how can I describe it? They're like higher end Funko Pops. Oh. Uh. Oh wait, those things like yeah. with like the, you can like switch out their faces and their yeah, body their faces parts? in the hand. Yeah. Oh, those things are cool. Yeah. So I I got one of those and when I came back like this is day two of me. Uh, going back to the arcade um, day two they had overwatch Funko Pops so I don't know like they have to bring something that I I would greatly enjoy like if they had a better like cast there then yeah but mm-hmm. um, for for mine they had Lucio and um, they had Lucio and Genji both available and I was like hmm but Yugi Moto looks really cool so mm-hmm. I'm just it, there's just a lot that we have to think about. What are what are like arcade prizes these days? Like I don't like I remember what Chuck E. Cheese prizes are. I remember like when I went to like Las Vegas every year for Taekwondo tournaments and like we would get like we'd go to like Circus Circus there and like the, the arcade there's a hotel called Circus Circus, they have an arcade. And I'd go there and get like prizes mm-hmm. every year, but like I don't know what what's cool with the children anymore uh yeah most of the prizes are pretty much the same as like what we remember the only thing that like i i guess the the best part about it is that there's a lot more um there's a lot more variety at some of them like david busters i feel like doesn't didn't even really have a lot to go for so i was i was not really 
like hyped about going there, but going to um going going to round one is always fun for me because like I just I just enjoy what they have there. I kind of want to go to an arcade now, but I'm broke. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You can make it a date idea, and then just you know, thirty bucks on a card, and then play for a couple hours. That's what I do. What's your favorite? Like, I know you said you like the the hoops, but what's your non hoops go to for arcades? My non hoops. Okay, I have a very specific one. Um, there's a game you can look it up. It's called Usica. Uh, M M U S E C Hey, uh, <laughs> it's done by uh, I believe it's a Konami game, um, mm-hmm. but it's a rhythm game. It's got five buttons on it, um, and the buttons spin. Uh, and there's a foot pedal. It's a rhythm game. Uh, it is one of the. It it was a rhythm game that before the pandemic I used to be very good at, but now because I am thick brained and pandemic fat. Uh, I I'm not as quick as I used to be, uh, so that that's gonna take me a bit of getting used to again. But um, it is definitely a fun game in my in my opinion. I I like the I like the mechanics of having five buttons, a foot pedal, and the button spin. So it's just a lot uh, going on there. Uh, how about you, Matt? How was your weekend? How is everything going on your part? It's been okay. I I finally. I've been playing enough Overwatch to actually get the skins. I've just been playing mostly um, Mystery Heroes, which is like, I'm getting better at everybody except Winston. I can never play Winston. That's that's my issue. Um, have not been pl- I've been playing a little bit of Smash, and like I just picked up uh, Mario Mario Kart 8, so I played that last night. But like, Kevin, uh, tips on playing Winston, please. I, I can't play him. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll, like, I'll try to, like, do what they do in League, and, like, you dive in, you, like, dance around your shield, and then you dive out, but, like, I can't do it. Uh, There's little nuances that, that take a bit of time to get used to. One of them is, when you jump, you gotta punch before you land. Uh, like, you fly at them, you punch them in the face while you're landing, so that the punch damage goes through when you land, the land damage gets through. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, then it's just a matter of like bubble dancing at that point. It, it takes a lot of finessing. And I know that honestly, I think it's very difficult on, on PlayStation or any console games, because there's a yeah. lot of flicking involved with trying to play Winston uh, for us. Keyboard and mouse players. We just kind of launch our arm up and it works that way. Um, so yeah, we're we're trying to figure out how that works. I, I remember there being like a way to to think about it, but honestly, it's just it's kind of it, it's kind of tough to explain it. It it's a it's a feeling thing, and uh, <laughs> if it requires a coach to be hovering over you the entire game, then yeah, that's that's how it is. Okay, I just need, I just need to have my coach hover over me. The entire time and just yell at me when I'm not doing anything. Okay, so let's get into this week's matches. So this week was week seven of the league. It was the, uh, we have confirmed the second week of the June joust. Um, so Friday's matches were the London Spitfire lost 0-3 to the Dallas Fuel. And the LA Gladiators won 3-0 over the Vancouver Titans. 
Um, now, Saturday, the Shanghai Dragons took 3-0 over the Los Angeles Valiant, and the NYXL lost 1-3 to the Seoul Dynasty. The Houston Outlaws took 3-0 over the London Spitfire. The San Francisco Shock went 3-1 over the Toronto Defiant, and the Atlanta Reign lost 1-3 to the LA Gladiators. Now, Sunday, the NYXL won 3-0 over the LA Valiant. The Seoul Dynasty lost 1-3 to the Shanghai Dragons. The Defiant lost 1-3 to the Houston Outlaws. The Vancouver Titans lost 0-3 to the Atlanta Reign. And the Dallas Fuel lost 1-3 to the San Francisco Shock. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's like... A lot of the recent matches don't seem like they're close at all. I mean, at least looking at it numbers-wise. They all look like they're thorough stompings. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't until like I watched the Shock game, um, both of them, like... I was watching the Dallas Fuel one, and I was like, "Is this a game over yet?" And I watched, I kept watching it over and over again, and I was like, "Dude, this this game is getting dragged out." Like, if you look at the the Dallas Fuel game, won five maps because they tied two CP. Um, but there's just like a bunch of just like things that made it more difficult in a way. Um, I just hope that we can get get through some of the games quicker but honestly um most of it was pretty fun um i I have to give them props for making these games relatively competitive and especially in such a small time too like we don't have a lot of uh we don't have a lot of time to relax between the the may melee and the june joust so yeah we only we only had about a week so i i noticed another thing this week there's still like there's still so much variation in, like, even with the introduction of um, the the hero bands, kind of like limiting what you can really choose in your your compositions. There's still a fair amount of, of variation within the teams that I at least I saw playing. Um, I don't know if you you would understand like why this is happening, Kevin. But like, if you do understand, like, why is it that I feel like this season? Has had even like some of the most variation in in compositions that we've seen in the Overwatch League since maybe season one. Because like after a while, it just became like, oh, who's best at playing goats? Oh, who's best at running double shield? Oh, who's best at running dive? Um, and now we're getting to the point where like even within like teams that you know are going to run certain compositions, there's still a lot of variation in how they how they choose to tackle those those strategies and comps. Like, there's a. You used to never see Soldier 76. Now you're seeing a lot of Soldier 76. Like, Reaper is getting a lot of play. We even saw, like, I saw Bastion get pulled out once or twice. Yeah, I think the variation comes with the team and the comfortability, obviously. Um, But at the same time, like, there's so much variety with removing Reinhardt. I feel like that was a big big thing. Like, you have no, like, massive flankers or characters who could get in quick because both Sombra and Tracer are gone. So it becomes kind of a war of who can deal the damage the most effectively. Um, and yeah, whether that is, you know, a rush comp or if that is, you know, running Arisa Sigma and just trying to get some rocks and hit some people, get some damage off. Um, it is really up to the way how the team wants to run it. And it does come down to a difference of mentality and what is comfortable for the characters you're for your for your team in general 
I feel like this, from what I saw this week, it was a lot of dive comps going up against like double shield with the Arisa Sigma. Is I, like, I feel like that was the, the the dominant plays that a lot of the teams were trying to pull out here. Um, yeah. I watched uh, the Dynasty twice, and they were really trying to like, they were trying so hard to make the Roadhog work, which it 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 didn't. It really didn't. It worked maybe once or twice, but they kept trying to force it. We'll get into that later, but like, is there a reason why you should be running a dive against like, I guess a more sturdy composition like Arisa Sigma? Because I um, feel like, I, I I feel like when when I was watching it. The dive just never worked because you didn't have the the consistent damage and like sustainability that those other tanks have. Yeah, so it's kind of a it's a weird like thought process, right? Um, the the downside of Arisa Sigma is whichever side the shields go up on, um, there's always the other side that's completely exposed, right? Um, which is how you use the map. Like you have to dip around certain areas and um, use your shield when you can get in, and so on and so forth. But um, dive works when you have damage coming out from both sides. Because one side, yeah, the shield is protecting from one point of damage, right? But being able to completely surround them and force them either on the opposite side or force them to play around their shields. It makes it that much harder for the enemy team. So uh, the most important part here is like dive is supposed to make the back line as uncomfortable as possible. And if they do that, they essentially uh, have it in the bag at that point. All right. So like the, the first match that we had that I watched was the dynasty versus the NYXL. This was, this was a three to one. Um, this one started out like, it looked like it was pretty even at the beginning. Like, or the 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 dynasty took the first map university on oasis 100 to 0 then moving on to city center it was 100 to 99 and 100 to 99 um the nyxl won city center and then the dynasty came back to win garden um again with 199 so rough start for the nyxl uh they they just kind of got steamrolled that that first point but by the end of oasis i felt like okay they're both pushing it to that 99 level. So they seem pretty even here um, on Junkertown. Uh, the, the NYXL just had a lot of really good momentum. Like they were just able to, to continue off their kills and get the cart moving. Nothing very special. I would say um, they just kind of had a, a good round. The, the dynasty just didn't play as well as they could have. Um, and then the rest of the time, it was just an absolute stomping ground. Like on Hanamura was a was an insanely like fast take for them. Like Prophet was on his Reaper, teleported to point like at the very beginning, and they kind of just let him take a tick for free all by himself. Um, and after that, like his ability to just sustain and get kills on the Reaper was really, um, I would say, it was like it was part of the downfall for. The NYXL, they weren't really able to answer that. Um, Fitz also had a really good, uh, a really a lot of really good play on his Bob, so that that really helped them out as well. So a lot of really good plays by the damage for the the uh, 
not the NYXL, the, uh, the Soul Dynasty. Um, the NYXL were running died, and again, I feel like the double shield is just so much more stable at this point. A lot of teams are still trying to force the dive. And even when it's not working, they, I feel like maybe that's all they've practiced is using dive. So they're not comfortable switching off of it. So that's why they lose. Um, and then on Hollywood was, if there was any question as to who was the better team, Hollywood was the answer that it was very clearly the soul dynasty. Um, the NYXL attack, like they, they pushed it to the end and they were able to cap, but in overtime, um, when the dynasty attacked, like immediately from the very first engagement, Fitz gets two kills with his dynamite on Ash, and then they clean up kill, take the point with um, three minutes and seventeen seconds left. They finish the map like they just continue to steamroll from there. Like the NYXL were able to get one or two holds, but still in the end, the the Dynasty were able to finish the entire map with a minute and 14 seconds. Um, and then their their second attack, they cap it easily. Like, just a very quick kill from Gesture on Friday for, with his Roadhog. And then just, it all falls apart. And my notes were fits. That is all. <laughs> I mean, whatever works, really. Um, it, when it When it comes down to some of these games... I've seen this kind of becoming a trend where teams will let off of a point trying to think like, oh, they won't get a certain amount after a certain tick, but it ends up leading to them not being able to do anything afterwards. So like, if you want to go back to Hanamura, where, you know, they they have so much, so much pressure set up. Um, coming out from the dynasty side, that it doesn't really give them um, a lot of time to to figure out where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And pushing this up tempo on on teams that are used to waiting it out and setting up um, definitely throws like the tempo off a lot for for teams that are used to being like, okay, well we have X amount of time to set up. Um, but if you already have somebody on the back line, it it definitely hurts. For sure. Uh, so, Kevin, how was the um, the shock versus the defiant? So, yeah, this game was was pretty straightforward. It was a uh, it was a three one in favor of the San Francisco Shock. Um, I feel like the most important part here uh, to point out is Junkertown, the map that the San Francisco Shock did lose. Um, the reason why they lost was nice was kind of unchecked for a long time mm-hmm. and this shows something that a lot of teams need to really focus on is um when you are going uh, when you are going echo versus echo where it was nice versus nero um in those moments uh the the echo that goes unchecked usually wins like you have to know where they're at and be able to at least communicate with your team like, hey, this person is over here. Like, if you pick that up first, you end up usually winning. Um, they kind of let their foot off the gas when when they were on their attack side. They really didn't respect Nice as much as they could have. Um, Glister did get a couple of really good shots in on some of these plays, and there was one that actually, like, I think it saved Violet from potentially losing it, but it was... Uh, it was a really interesting, like, 
event there where nice was unchecked the entire time um just getting in the back line and without the proper people to deal with them um he kind of fell off really hard um for the other maps they they did kind of go really well in the in the shock's favor um the the first map was oasis and on oasis it was it felt like a 2-0. It, it looks on paper like a quick, you know, 2-0 sweep, but uh, they did push it into OT multiple times and going back and forth. But once again, it was just being able to, like, the aggression of the shock tends to win out a lot on control point maps. Um, on Hanamura, there was one very interesting play uh, where if you were in the game, uh, you would definitely be typing question marks out. Um, <laughs> they... The first thing that Toronto Defiant do is, I believe they like TP. They use a Reaper TP. I think a Spire got onto site and just stood there for like two ticks, and the shock didn't do anything about it. Like, I was, I was like, uh, bro, like, are you, are you good? Like, something happening? Like, because he was literally standing there, got like two ticks before anybody was actually like, oh, wait, we gotta get to point. Uh, and then by the time that they got there, uh, they were able to fully hold, but it it was a big, like, okay, you gave them, like, two ticks. You gave them, like, 75%. Like, what <laughs> what are you thinking? Um, I don't know if it was a lapse in judgment, but it was honestly just... I, I was like, this is, this is top-tier Overwatch. Like, mm -hmm. uh, this is a mistake that I would make, okay? <laughs> this is, <laughs> where's my check? Um... Uh, but honestly, it was it was just a very interesting uh, set of things that happened there. So I was I was really confused. Um, they ended up winning that because they were they were able to hold off the second point. Um, Hollywood took a long time, and I felt like Hollywood was going to be a quicker map. But um, I do have to say, like honestly, out, out of the three one, it looks like it's very one sided. It was a very tough climb for the San Francisco Shock to even get to the very end of the map um but once again like the one thing the one shining like aspect of the toronto defiant is nice like mm -hmm. this man is insane as as an echo like it with the proper amount of space and without being properly checked by either nero or glister like he kind of gets away with doing really dumb things and <laughs> It it really put a thorn in their side. It it was it was tough to watch, but it definitely uh, made it a lot harder for the shock than you know what we what we're used to seeing them. They had a lot of pushback, so um, that's something that they could definitely take to the uh, to the drawing board and look through in bot review. Right, right. So how in your mind, how are the shock looking like in this first match? Um overall? they're definitely like finding a stride. Um at first I was like, okay, they're they're running Smurf um because they have the option of running, you know, either Arissa or the or the monkey in that case. And uh -huh. um I feel like that flexibility is really important for the shock because on bigger maps that require space to be taken, um for example, like like Junkertown, like you want teams that can apply pressure in the back line. 
So that like both Smurf and Choi being able to kind of do what the team needs, it throws off the other tank line because they don't know what their plan is just by team preview, you know? Um, but like, for example, like if you saw Super, you're like, oh, they're running a Rhine. Like that's <laughs> that's like right off the bat, like a dead giveaway. So um, or a Genji, you never know. Um, but honestly, the the games themselves were pretty close, um, even though the, the score line says, you know, 3-1. But I feel like the Shock really did take their time after getting knocked out of the main melee. They started to kind of workshop some of these compositions and, and work them out. So um, I'm glad that they're finding a little bit of a stride here. So do you think they're playing more cautiously or are they still kind of the same as they've always been? Oh, they're they're still the same. They're like still, okay. you know, crazy out there. Uh, but I feel like they're more in sync. That is something mm -hmm. that I remember in the first, in the main melee, they were kind of all off doing their own thing. Um, but now they're starting to find a little bit more synergy where they can collapse on somebody, erase them quick, and then start worrying about the rest of the team. So, um, it's something that definitely takes time. It's like team chemistry is something that you can't like just download. Um, yeah, it, yeah, of course not. It takes a while for that. So I'm glad that you know the shock were able to figure that out going into uh, going into this. Imagine if you could download Team Synergy. Dude, that'd be that'd be so much better. Like, <laughs> no problem. All right, so I watched two more matches. The first one was the Dynasty versus the Dragons. Um, the Dragons took the first map, uh, first matchup on Li Zhang. So 100 to 0 was on control center for the Dynasty. The Dragons turned that around in the night market phase and took that 100 to 47. Um, and in the uh, third matchup on Gardens, the Dragons took that as well. Um, what looks good for the Dynasty, though, is Fitz. He, he played McCree and he did very, very well with it. Um, got a lot of very important kills when he needed to, which helped the Dynasty get the progress that they did. Um, but I feel like their their compositions, um, again, this is where the composition aspect comes in again, is, is I feel like the Dynasty throughout this entire match with the Dragons were trying to force something to happen that clearly wasn't going to. Um, I think this is one of the only maps where Gesture really did play the Arisa, um, he played Arisa on Control Center and Night Market, and from Gardens onward, he was just stuck on the Hog. Um, meanwhile, the the Dragons were playing for a lot more range, um, and they were playing for a lot more consistent, I guess not even consistent damage, but they were playing a lot of higher damage heroes, so I feel like the, the, the Dynasty are, were wanting to play for, like, dive and then getting close, um, but the dragons were keeping them at bay because they had the distance heroes to play. So um, that really hurt them just throughout this entire matchup. Um, if you look at Dorado, I loved watching Dorado because it was just so insane. Um, Void was playing D.Va and he was the, the biggest difference maker throughout this entire matchup because um, not only was he getting a lot of really good kills with his D.Va bombs, but he gets so many like remake kills. I think out of the um, the ten final blows he had, not that's not even including just the normal kills he got, like helped contribute. But like out of this ten final blows, five of them were for remix. Like there's one play on um, 
I think it, I can't remember whether it was their attack or their defense. Um, but Void is he gets a three kill just on a remake alone. So um, I think whoever goes up against Void in the future has really got to pay attention to that and make sure that you kill him as fast as possible. Because now that the remake kills are a thing, like as the casters were saying, it was. It's like Diva now has two different damage dealing ults. She's got the Diva Bomb and she's got the Diva Remake. So if you leave the baby Divas alone now, it's not just a stall thing. Like if you're able to stall it out and kill her right before she gets the mech, fine. That'll ruin your opponent's like timing and, and synergy. But if you if for some reason you leave her alone just long enough to get that remake kill, you're potentially ruining yourselves for when the rest of the team comes back to rejoin the fight. Um so watch out for Void in the future. Um, I do have to agree with that. Uh, I was playing D.Va this whole weekend, and yeah, people tend to forget that if you pop the mech, it's not over. Uh, it's not over anymore. <laughs> and I, I remember like I was actually on Dorado as, as an actual example, um, oh pushing on map two. Um, or like pushing, they were pushing towards uh, the second point, right? Phase we were two. on defense. Um, and yeah, when they were heading towards phase two, I dropped from the upper balcony, remeked, and I killed three. It's, it's one of those things where like, they're like, oh, it's a baby diva. We don't have to worry about it until the mech comes down. And they're like, oh, I'm still within range. Uh, they, you just don't know it. It's literally like a meteor dropping out of nowhere. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things that now you have to pay attention to. It's like, yeah, we popped the mech, but now we have to kill the D.Va. We have to guarantee the kill on the D.Va. Um, because now D.Va, now smart like baby D.Vas will just like hide in a corner and try to remech to get a kill, like an insta-gib. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely something that you gotta, you gotta look out for. How satisfying is it to get the remake kills? Like not even one remake kill, but three remake kills. How, how oh, does that it, feel? It is so rewarding. It's like... It's the same as getting a jump pack kill as uh, as Winston. You just feel like you got outplayed. Like before I even started my play, you got outplayed. Like uh, I press a button and my damage ult like insta gives somebody who's stuck in a door. Like that is that is one of the funniest feelings ever. You can't retreat and you're very scared of a uh, of a 19 year old mechless girl with a with a pea shooter. And then you just drop it on them and they, they die. I just have to share this right now. I turned around. I'm in my room. My door was closed. I was looking one direction. I turned around. My sister was right behind me. And I freaked out because like I didn't hear her come in because my headphones are in. And she's just like in my face, but she was grabbing my switch. <laughs> it's like, I'm taking <sighs> this away. <laughs> like, this is mine now. That was that was I was not prepared. Like, I legitimately like Mm, I don't like that. I do not like that. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, so I, do you think they're going to, do you think they're going to like dial this down? Do you think it's too powerful? Cause I think like, I think it's just powerful enough. I don't think they should touch it because I think um, like in real life, like, I, I mean, not that overwatch is real life, but in real life, if a mech is coming down on top of you, you're not going to survive. Like, even if you're like all beefy and tanky, like you, you shouldn't survive a mech being called on your head. Yeah, I I like this change a lot. Like 
the 50 damage, the initial 50 that, that came out on the first one, like, you don't care about that damage. Like, that's that's baby damage. Like, you're not doing anything. But now there's a, there's an actual consequence for staying too close to a D.Va. Um, and it forces teams to prioritize that kill a little bit more, and I like it. Um, and as a D.Va player, I do, I do also like the Gib potential. Like, <laughs> There's there's like something that is just very funny about everybody focusing in on a grav target. Like everybody gets grabbed and they're running around. They're like, oh, the 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 Zarya is going to do something or like the, the far is flying above us. And then you just you run into the pile and you press Q and <laughs> you just drop a mech on them. And they're like, OK, didn't expect the baby diva in the grab. Um, but yeah, sometimes sometimes it works like that. The funny thing is, is, it's not counted as a as an ultimate kill. Is the thing I think yeah. it definitely should be counted as an ultimate kill. Um, but that's a that's a thing for the uh, the dev team to tweak if they want to. Uh, anyway, so moving on to the uh, the third map on Anubis. Um, this was the map that the uh, Dynasty were able to win, um, and I think the the one moment that pinpointed it was. Um, they were playing uh the the dynasty were attacking first point um and i can't remember who died but lee jagon went to try to get the res and killed himself doing it didn't even get the res off so that's like a huge amount of healing that the uh the dragons weren't able to have and from that point on like they weren't able to successfully recontest point a and so that gave the um the dynasty just huge huge snowball potential moving into point b on anubis and marvel was able to maintain a pretty much like i would say 100 energy almost the entire time just high 90s if that um and i i just i where normally i would i was questioning the composition for the dynasty here i was kind of iffy about the composition for the dragons like they were playing brig um i i don't think brig was the best choice here where you're uh you're trying to fit your way through a choke and they're playing like ranged heroes like echo and ash um the brig doesn't seem like the best choice there um but anyway moving on to the fourth map eichenwald um where <laughs> Whereas the the dragons goofed up on Anubis, they went, they wanted to make sure that no one was questioning them at all. So the dragons attacked two very early kills, just mob onto the point and capped the point with it with three minutes and eighteen seconds left. And then from there on, it's just steamroll. the The dynasty really didn't have an answer, and when on their attack similarly they just kind of were limp um i feel like the the biggest issue here was uh the composition for the the dynasty was just so centered around gestures roadhog whereas like yes on the first match that they played this week against the uh nyxl the roadhog worked occasionally like they tried to force it the entire time this time i really didn't see any reason for them to be running it because like you're running up against a sigma and an arisa a lot of the time and like if they're putting up shields you're not going to get through the shields um you're very slow you're an old battery 
like yes you you can you can self-sustain and you can get like quick burst damage with the hook and like a hook shot in uh melee but like it's not it's not reliable i would say it's it's not doing your team any favors and like gesture is always is always getting focused out very early because he's either playing a winston or a roadhog and he's get always diving in and just getting immediately deleted i like gesture but i i was questioning his judgment throughout this entire matchup yeah sometimes you just gotta play what's comfortable for the team rather than you know like even if the call was like we have to run hog here um i understand the concept of you know shield break try to break down their shields as quickly as possible but um when you get singled out especially as a tank uh you're giving the other team ult that they can use against the rest of your team. So that's something that you definitely have to keep in mind when all of these things are uh, going together. Hold on one second. I'm going to see what they're doing with the switch. I'll be right back. All right. Okay, so my siblings did not know that you needed to plug in the uh, the the switch to use the the TV aspect of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're like scrambling, figure out how do we do this. You're like you didn't plug it in. I'm like oh, um. Anyway, so the next match that I watched was the Defiant versus the Outlaws, uh, and I will agree with you that Nice and Nice is a very good. Uh, he, he's a very good DPS. Um, did Aspire play in the map that you watched? The matches that yes, you watched? Yes, Aspire okay. was also there, yeah. Okay, how did he perform there? Like, it, him going 1v1 against Glister uh, or Striker, it wasn't a good matchup for Aspire. Like, there wasn't a lot of, like, shining moments that Aspire was able to get. Um, but I think that was just because of the way how the Shock play. They're very... Uh, they don't give you a lot of space to work with. So Aspire really didn't have much to... Did not have a lot of room to work with throughout that entire... The entirety of the match. Um, regardless of which DPS was supposed to be 1v1ing him. Okay. Um, I feel like Aspire did well. Uh, not well, but he, he held his own, I would say against the outlaws he had a very i would say he was starting to develop a little bit of a rivalry throughout this against happy um they they were sniping each other throughout like a lot of the time they would go um they would go kill for kill like uh, aspire would take out happy then happy would come back and, and take out aspire um stuff like that 
Um, so the, the, the first map that was up was Lee Jong and, um, this was not working for the outlaws. They were running again. It was the, the dive against Arisa double shield. It just wasn't working. Like, um, dreamer just kept getting isolated and taken out first. And without his, uh, without his shield and his ability to engage and disengage and just put in the damage that he was supposed to be putting out, the outlaws really didn't have a chance. Um, they did go up to up to three maps here on Lijong, but um, I would say that this was firmly in control of of the Defiant. Um, moving on to Rialto, they switch uh, Django in for Dreamer, and they put in Jake for Juby. Uh, they started running the Orisa here, and after, at this point, this is when the Outlaws actually start to start to get some wins. Um, this was, I would say, this was a really good match for um, for Neist and for uh, Aspire. They did a lot of really good damage. They got a lot of essential kills. Um, but again, I, I feel like the, the Outlaws, once they were, once they understood that they weren't able to do dive against the um, the Defiant, then I feel like they 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 sturdied up. They they got the kills that they needed to. Um, there was a really good point where the Defiant looked like they were going to um, they were going to cap point one. Uh, they got two ticks already. The Outlaws came in to contest right at the point, um, and they they're just trading alts, a lot of kills on both sides. Uh, Jake comes in and reses Jangu, and <laughs> at that point the uh, the Defiant are like, "Oh, we have to back away," and they just weren't able to touch the point again. Um, the Outlaws just easily pushed them all the way they just pushed their way and just brute forced it all the way to the end and compared to what the outlaws did that first match i feel like the the defiant were not prepared i feel like they they got a little bit confident um but once the outlaws were running something that was more sustainable um the the defiant were able to keep the pace volskaya was an absolute steamroll um the Outlaws had like five minutes and 57 seconds going into the the second point. Like they, they came in the first point, Nice dies, and then Sato dies, and then Defiant just run all the way back to second point because they know there's no way that they're going to contest on first point. Um, and then as soon as the, the first point is captured, Outlaws roll into the second point, dump ults, and they cap with five minutes and two seconds left, which is a huge, ridiculous time bank. That mindset of five minutes, two seconds it is going to ruin your mental. Um, and then when the Defiant are attacking, like, it's, it's not good. It's a lot of mistakes. Neist falls in the water. Like, he bumps into a wall and just dies. The Defiant are, are just getting picked apart by Dante. Um, they almost capped the point on the first point, but then um, Jangu comes in with his wrecking ball and tags in, and then the rest of the outlaws come in and just wipe them out. Um, there, there was no hope here. Like after that first take, this was a lost map. Um, it felt like the I wrote here the outlaws are just playing with their food. Um, and then for Numbani, uh, this was just another really bad stomp. Um, they're running a dive here again when the outlaws are attacking. 
But even though um, they, they've subbed Dreamer in again, even though Dreamer dies initially, um, the Outlaws still get three kills in their first attack. And after that, again, it's another steamroll. <laughs> and so I feel like that's that's the tale of this. It's just steamroll after steamroll after steamroll. And I think after that first loss on um, Rialto, I feel like the Defiant were shaken and just they they had nothing that they could do. And I think the, the difference between the Outlaws, what I saw from the Outlaws and what I saw from the, the Dynasty, is the Outlaws recognized that the dive wasn't working and they switched it up. Is they, they were not beholden to this one strategy. Yeah, sometimes you just need to flip the script sometimes. Like, if something is not working out, uh, sometimes you have to make an executive call, even if it's against, you know, coach's decision. Um, but yeah, that that tends to be the way how it how it goes. So I, I think after this, so I think the um, did the Outlaws have another match? I think they're they just have to make it through next week to try like to win their their knockout match to get to the June Joust. So, um, I really hope so that they make it this time. They're doing so well. Um, to not make it into the June Joust would really be a shame. Um, but if another team is lucky enough to beat them, then congratulations. Um, Kevin, what about the uh, the last shock match? Yeah, we had one more shock match, which was the Dallas Fuel versus the San Francisco Shock. And this game felt like it took hours. Uh, I'm, like I'm not even kidding. Two hours. It, it, was a, it was a long game. Um, and I guess I'll just talk about this. On a bigger and like wider scale, the thing to mention or the thing to look out for here is momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, momentum definitely played a lot going into not only like just into this match in particular. So um, the first thing that was on the shock's mind is, you know, the Dallas Fuel were the ones who won the May May Melee. They they are the ones who are on top, and so. The first thing that I remember hearing, like shock wise, was we want to take these guys down. We we want our throne back, kind of. Um, and that's kind of what this match felt like. It was it didn't feel like, oh, it's just another, you know, one off game. This is like we were the champions last year. We deserve this spot. Like it's almost like a how dare you like take our slot here, you know? Uh-huh. Um so right off the bat uh the shot kind of came out with with guns blazing they were they were pushing as fast as they could um they they ran they ran a dive composition um with nero once again on the uh on the echo and striker on a reaper and they would just take up space they would take as much space up as possible um and the first one was sanctuary um and yeah, just didn't allow them to use any space. On the second on the second map, it did go um downtown, ended up going to the Dallas Fuel. Um that one was a really close map overall. Um but yeah, the the shock once they took it, they couldn't really hang on to it for as long as they could. Um so the fuel ended up taking the second map of uh of Busan and moving on into the last one, it was uh Mecha Base. And this whole match was just all over the place. Like, 
it, it was back and forth all the way until like the the final buzzer um which essentially came down to um just how well striker was playing he he found some picks that were um that that essentially opened up the fight even though they weren't on high priority targets they were able to take out fearless as quickly as possible and not really allow him to um to play the game so as long as you have the damage going through um i feel like the san francisco shocks um mentality when going into these fights are always um if you can scoot them off the point you essentially have it and um even if it even if it seems like a c9 um it's always like if you c9 them long enough you win right um and that that was the whole tale of busan is like uh nero would always end up copying hanbin and end up taking the the diva and so Choi would throw his first and then nero would wait until the first one detonates and then put down his so it doesn't really give him a chance to like contest overall it's making them scramble and figure out where they can be safe um when really uh the the one place where you need to be is not safe at all so excuse me first one went to uh the san francisco shock 2-1 on busan uh the next map was dorado um this map is is a little weird i'm not gonna lie um when they were playing on dorado um we we saw i believe it was glister yeah they put glister on widow and there were some insane plays by glister um in this match and one of them that i want to point out in particular um there was a point where I believe it was uh, Smurf who was trying to go after Sparkle. Um, and it was in the second part, like the bank. It wasn't Doha. Yeah, it was Sparkle. So Sparkle was on the Genji. Um, ends up pulling out Blade and trying to get the kill. Um, but Glister is just in the weirdest places. Like, you would expect him to be playing on Dorado, but this dude is literally playing on Lijong Tower um like he's he's doing the weirdest flank strats that you've ever seen on a widow like if you do not constantly check behind you glister is there and like like my sister looking for my switch exactly he he's he is your sister uh just he's he's waiting in the darkness and if you don't check him whether it's your supports or your tanks not looking behind them you're expecting okay, yeah, always like widows are always playing that similar sightline. No, Glister is like all over the place. And because of that, uh some of the pickoffs that he gets on Dorado, you're like, where did that shot come from? Like you're you're constantly wondering where is the shot coming from? And they find out where he is, and like he he either escapes or ends up dying for it. But most of the time, the team is looking behind them. And if you're looking behind you, you're not getting forward progress and that literally led to the shock victory it was so bizarre to see teams being scrambled looking for a Widowmaker who may or may not even be there like that's that's how much that's how much real estate glister had in the dallas fuels head he, he was living there almost rent free um but it was it was insane um just to see some of the sight lines that glister is playing and 
he returned the favor on attack too. He he did find pickoffs and uh, the shock ended up pushing that. And that was once again a momentum play. Um, they won the first map. They kind of they they won the second map. Um, Temple of Anubis is the third map. It took a long time. Uh, it was a three three. It went to OT, and like it, this is the reason why two CP isn't going to exist next uh, next game. I hope because things like this happen. You have a full like eight minute game that ends up like becoming a draw in the first round, and then doing the same thing on the second round. Um, but yeah, it just felt like it was always back and forth. I'm sitting there like wondering how long it is going to take this, this team to finish Temple of Anubis. But yeah, this, this match just felt like it went on forever. Uh, and it ended up becoming a draw. So I was like, dude, I just wasted like half an hour watching this match that didn't add anything to the score. But the the point of this was it was a momentum stop for the shock. It's not a victory. So they they thought, oh, okay, we could win Anubis. Um, they go to Eichenwald and the Dallas Fuel are like, okay, yeah, we're we're not doing that again. And so they push super aggressively. They ended up capping Eichenwald um three to one and really not letting the shock find anything. Um and that was just straight like just straight damage coming out from from both Doha and Sparkle. Just no space for the shock um, at all. And then when they got to Ilios, this is the, probably the most like close battle I've seen in a while. Um, both these teams are literally duking it out. We have both Doha versus Nero all the time. Um, but yeah, I do feel like the echo play that was coming out of both sides really did determine uh, who ends up coming out on top. So. Um, and when we saw the final like match, like after after the game, like the shock were really excited that they won. And I don't think that it was I think it was a little personal for them. Um, just because it's like we have a better record, we should have been there. And if they were in Hawaii, they probably felt like they could have taken it. Um, but they're definitely looking for blood uh now going into the June Joust. Um, especially going up 2-0 against their opponents. So uh, we'll definitely see how that plays out, obviously, into this next week and the elimination round. So looking at both of these teams, now that we're in a, a new meta, now that we're in a new tournament, how do you feel like they're stacking up for the actual tournament aspect of it? Um, so the way how I'm looking at this is the... The Dallas Field do still have a really strong team, like 100%. Um, the one that I want to point out is that the Shock are built more uh, wide than tall, which is something that, if if you don't know what that term means, wide means like you have a lot of specialists. Um, you have more people on your roster um, that specialize in more things, or specialize in one specific thing, rather than uh, one really talented player who specializes in a lot of things. Um, and because of that, it gives them flexibility as well as fresh eyes. Um, like essentially if somebody like they, they don't feel like they're going to be playing in this specific role, they're able to fit them in um, into the roster with a different like role idea. So 
I feel like the Shock are really, they were really honing in on this. Um, we see how well Nero's been playing on the Echo for the most part. Um, but yeah, now that the Dallas Fuel can't like run whatever they want, I feel like the Shock, now that they have the personnel, um, it could definitely roll in their favor. So it'll, it'll definitely be interesting moving on into next week because the Shock still have two more games. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, these final games are going to be really important. Um, moving forward into obviously the June joust and then who else is going to make it forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the next upcoming games, um, all of Sunday is going to be reserved for the, uh, the knockout rounds. So, um, the what's coming or start, we start on Thursday actually. So we start tomorrow. Um, with this, so the Boston Uprising are going to be going against the Paris Eternal. The Fuel are going to go against the Mayhem, and then on Friday we've got the Charge versus the Fusion, the Hunters versus the Dynasty, the Valiant versus the Spark, uh, and there's going to be a rebroadcast of that. The Uprising of against the Gladiators, the Shock versus the Titans, the Mayhem versus the Justice is the end of Friday. Then Saturday, the Valiant are going to go against the Fusion. The Charge are going to hit the Dynasty, the Hunters against the Spark, the Valiant versus the Fusion, the Eternal versus the Gladiators, the Titans versus the Fuel, and the Shock versus the Justice. And then again, Sunday is going to be where the real magic happens, where we see who gets knocked out and who gets to move on. So um, there's a lot of Overwatch to watch this weekend. Um, uh, hopefully hopefully your team makes it through i mean i feel i'm probably just gonna end up waiting for the knockouts like we did last tournament yep ah <laughs> uh, yeah it just makes it a lot easier like the records don't matter going into the the june joust it's yeah. a matter of who survives the knockout rounds. your record kind of i get it matters because it, it it's who you're paired up against yeah but i mean literally like if the team is having a bad day or your team is having a good day, the record goes out the window. Exactly. Anything else we want to end on, Kevin? Um, watch your team, have fun. Uh and yeah, get that get that Hammond skin if you want it. <laughs> get the Hammond skin, play the game, send us questions for uh for the Watchpoint Pride people. I think we're talking we're talking with Oak and we're talking with Nika. So the the two main people that they talk to during that main melee spot um yeah happy pride to everybody and we will catch you next week adios next week we continue our june joust coverage and bring you more gaming and overwatch news thanks for listening to this week's episode if you like what you hear, please like, rate, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms and follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. Questions or comments? Please send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. If you'd like to advertise with our show, please contact our network at believe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.